0: Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from the Gospel of John. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 13, continuing to verse 23. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, now as we spend just a few minutes meditating upon this, your Word together, we would ask for your grace. We would ask for the presence of your Spirit, for without Him we can do nothing but with Him all things are possible. We would ask, the Lord, that in the enlightenment that the Spirit give, that this day He would, he would do a work within us that would not be shallow, but that He would do the work of renovating, transforming us from the inside out. And the true change, the kind of change that you have planned for this moment, through this passage for us, your people, would be accomplished. And so we want to glorify You. The way that we know to glorify You is by beholding You through the eyes of faith. So we must see You. And so would You now let the scales, as it were, fall from our eyes, free our hearts from distractions that would vie for our attentions. Let us now be held captive to a vision of Christ that we would indeed behold Him as it were face to face. Bless us now in this very way and lead us in the way of all truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You well, know, I mentioned as we began this service this morning that if you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. But we've been in the midst of a series on Christian formation. What does it mean for the life of a Christian, the life of a believer to be formed? into the image of Christ. How does that take place? In our first week in this series, we, we studied what is the very core of our being, what the Bible refers to as our heart. And we said that our heart is not primarily a thinking thing, it's not primarily a doing thing, it's not even primarily a feeling thing, as the culture at large would like us to think, but the heart is actually a desiring thing. The heart is the seat of the thinking. It is the seat of the will. It is the seat of the emotions. It's where those things come together. That's the heart. That's who we are. And so we said that we are lovers. We are desiring beings. We are lovers made to love. But then we said that that's a problem. The reason that's a problem is because we have a tendency to love the wrong things. Or we love the right things not as strongly as we ought. Or we love certain right things more strongly than we should. And we turn things either into idols or into things of neglect. Things that really should receive our attention. Or things that really shouldn't get quite as much attention as we give them. And so we are a people, not just simply lovers learning to love, but we are a people who must have our loves reshaped, reordered, as St. Augustine would put it as he prayed, Lord, set love in order in me. That's been our pursuit. We said that as our loves are reordered, there are ways in which God has determined for that to happen. One of those ways is what we're doing right now. We're worshiping the Lord. We're in his presence. We're under the means of grace. The Word, the sacraments, the prayer, the discipleship of the saints. This is how our our loves are reordered. It's why when we come into worship, oftentimes on a Sunday morning, we're wearied, bleared, and smeared with what has happened in our world throughout the week. And we come in, we stumble in with all kinds of things filling up our hearts and our minds. And by God's grace, in the midst of worship, it might be in a prayer, it might be in a song, it might be in the preaching of the Word, it might be in the tasting of the sweetness of the sacraments, but the sanity is restored to your life, and you remember the things that are most important. You remember the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see it by faith. You remember the gospel and what it is that He's accomplished, and you leave this place for a moment more ordered than when you arrived. And yet what happens? What you get shook as life goes along, and before long you need to be realigned. You get bent, out of shape. You gotta get rebent back into shape. And those are the means of grace. And we said that those habits, the routines of reading Bible and praying and and committing ourselves to a small group, as we've heard this morning, and walking with the saints in fellowship, these are ways that we are realigned. It's where our loves are once again rightly ordered. We are learning to love the right things in the right way. That's what we're striving to do as believers in Christ. We're letting Christ and the Bible dictate that priority. Well, today we want to talk about how the rightly ordered life leads to a life that is on mission. It leads to a life that is on mission, a life that's living with a vision for the spread of the love of God over all of the world. It's one of the evidences that you know that your heart is more and more being conformed to the heart of Christ is you love the world in the way that Christ loved the world. You begin to love your neighbor in the way that Christ loves his neighbors. You you begin to be having affections for the kinds of people you ought not, you ought you didn't recently have affections for, and now you begin to have those affections changed. You begin to devote yourself to the things that he's committed to. And as that happens, you find yourself more and more saying yes to his mission. We are made for mission. To be a Christian is to be someone who is on mission. Jesus says it in no uncertain terms here in verse 18. For you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That language of sent, language of missio in the Latin, it's language of mission. Mission, you've been sent into the world. That's your identity as a person. You're on mission for Christ. In other words, we can't call ourselves Christians and not be on mission. Mission. Because to be a Christian is to be on mission. You, you wouldn't dream of saying, I am a husband and you don't have a wife. You wouldn't dream of saying, I'm, I'm a mother and not have children. Because that identity, the, the vocabulary, the title of mother and husband require the relationship of spouse and children. In the same way, we can't say Christian and not be on mission. It just doesn't work. The nature of the language. Why is that? Because, as we've heard in this passage already in verse 18, Christ is on mission. If you want to be like Christ, you've got to be on mission because Christ is on mission. And so to not be on mission is to, in some way, not be conformed into the image of Christ. And that kind of language means that we are deconstructing a paradigm that says, you know, certain people are gifted for mission. Certain people have real interest in mission. You know, they are the mission minded people. These are the people that we elect to our missions committees. Uh, these are the kinds of people who, who are interested in foreign nations that are unreached. You know, there are certain people like that. No, no, no. A Christian is that person. A Christian is that person. A Christian has that heart. There is no limit to the love of that spreading of the gospel throughout the world in the heart of the Christian because there's no limit in Christ's heart for the spread of that gospel. He wants it in every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. And so if we're not sensing that, if we're not driven by that, then what's wrong? Well, there's some reordering that needs to happen in our own lives. There's transformation that needs to happen. And so what we want to do this morning in this text is say, Lord, bring about that in the course of our hearts and in our lives, individually and corporately as a body of Christ. Make us a people who love your mission. They love the scope of the mission. They love the depth of the mission. They love it in the way that you love it, the way that you're committed to it. And Lord, provoke us. We're asking the Lord, Lord, provoke us in the ways that we are shirking your mission. So I want to look at just two things this morning from this text I want you to see that we are made for mission. We are made for mission. We've been talking about it here, but I want you to see it's part of the human fabric. But I want you to also see that the mission is made for us. I want you to see that the mission is made for us. We are made for mission, but the mission is made for us. Indeed, we are not just those who carry the mission, we are those who are the object of the mission. We want to see both of those things as Jesus. Praise this beautiful prayer to His Father here in John 17. Let's start with we are made for mission. I want to do this somewhat briefly and actually jump away from the book of John for a second just to show you this. The human person is built for mission because in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we are told that we are made in the likeness of the image of God. God, when he created the world, was a God who was stepping into mission. He was a God who was creating something. He had an object. He had a desire. He had a goal. He had an aim. And he moved towards it in the action of creation. And we are the culminating six-day creation, we, made in his likeness, to act in a manner that's consistent with the way in which he acts, Which means by necessity, we are a people who must be on mission as human beings. Simply as human beings. And that's the truth no matter whether we are Christian or not Christian here in this room this morning. You have goals. You have aims. You have purposes. You have things that you live for. You have things that make you excited that you give your life and attention for, those are your mission. Those are the things that you're living for. Those are the things of which you are seeking to derive purpose from. But in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, we're told what our mission is supposed to be. God didn't leave it up to us to determine what mission that we want in life. He gave us a mission. He said that we are to be fruitful and multiply We are to fill the earth. We are to subdue it. We are to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What this means is that he's given us a mission that is eerily similar to what it is that he's just done in Genesis chapter 1. Was he fruitful in creation? Absolutely. Did he multiply? With each day more things came about. Was he bringing peace, flourishing Subduing the earth, absolutely. He was making things more inhabitable. Places where, where greater joy could be experienced. God acted in a way to bring about those realities in the world. And then he called us to act like him. Now, not to the degree we don't create out of nothing. But we take the things that he has created and we make other things from them. Most of the things that we are wearing, sitting on, inhabiting right now they're made of materials of which God has made but we've taken them we've made other things with them we've made we've made life more inhabitable we have in a very real sense flourished that's part of what it means to be a human being that's part of the calling that the Lord has given to us But the realization is that flourishing was meant for the good of the whole world. It was a mission that was meant to be extended to show forth the image of God and his glory and the good of neighbor over all of the cosmos. But what began to happen in the fall is we turned the DNA of mission that's right in the center of our beings as human beings, we turned it towards ourselves rather than outward towards the mission of God. I want you to see how this actually happens in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent comes to Eve and tempts her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He he tells her that she won't surely die if she eats of the tree as God commanded, but instead her life is going to be so much better if she just eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She will indeed even be like God. Now what what is the serpent doing in that moment? I'll tell you what the serpent is doing. He's vision casting for another mission. He's vision casting for another mission. He is twisting, he's bending the fact that Eve, he knows, has already been created for mission. He knows that she already has the likeness and the image of God in her. What he's got to do is turn the focus of the mission towards her rather than upon what it is that God has commanded. And that's exactly what Eve does. She ultimately buys a false gospel. Life is really about you, Eve. It's really about you. And and really, God here knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, you you will be like him, and he's really holding out on you. She believes this false gospel. She begins the hint of doubt begins to enter into her mind. And so what happens? She goes on false mission. She believes that life is about her. So she begins to live like life is about her. And you know what she expects? Well, she has a false hope. She'll be satisfied. She'll be like God. She'll grow more into what it is that she is supposed to be. But what happens? She becomes less than what she was. This is the way false mission always works. This is the way false gospels always work. This is why false hopes end up being dashed and we, learn, we feel like we are discontent. But we have focused on particular things that we think will satisfy us. We've centered our life around our own pleasures, our own hopes and dreams and accomplishments. If we can get the nicer house, if we can get the nicer car, if we can get the 401k full before retirement... If we can do these things, then the things that we really know will bring us satisfaction will bring us satisfaction. We have a false gospel. We have a false mission. And guess what? We get the thing that we want and what? It's never as good as we thought it was going to be. It always lets us down. We always become less than what we really once were. Because we have been sold a bill of goods. And we've gone on mission for the things that simply will not last. Jim Carrey, the actor, many of you know his movies, some of which you watch them. I don't know why, but you watch them. He says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich. I think everybody should be famous and do everything that they've ever dreamed of so that they can know that it is not the answer. You see, Carrey is really putting his finger on the dilemma of the falling condition. And even right now in this room, there's a collection of desires and motives and loves. There's a collection of missions. You're split and divided with regards to what it is you feel like you should give your life to. You know what you ought to, but you know what you're really doing. And then you think if you can just get that thing, it's that accomplishment, it's that degree, it's that, it's that girl, it's that guy, it's, it's, that, it's that place. If I could just reach that echelon, then, then it will come together. And you reach that, and it doesn't. We need to be restored to our original mission. That's what John 17 is really all about. Being restored to the original mission. That's what Jesus is praying about. With the Father, he knows that we're bent in mission. That's why he's come. He's come to restore the original mission that has been given. Do you see we are made for mission, but the mission is made for us. I want you to see the three things that are here in John 17, the three things that Jesus teaches us. He teaches us first that in one sense, the mission is already completed for us. In one sense, the mission has already been completed for us. In another sense, Jesus is right now completing the mission in us. Right now, completing the mission in us. And still in a third sense, Jesus is going to complete the mission through us. For us, he's already completed the mission. In us, he's in the process of completing the mission. He will ultimately complete the mission through us. For us, in us, through us. What do we mean by this? Well, Jesus has completed the mission for us. Here in John 17, in verse 18, Jesus says to the Father, As you sent me into the world. As you sent me into the world that's the mission Jesus has been sent into the world but look what he says in verse 13 but now I am coming to you but now I am coming to you no wait he's been sent into the world verse 18 but he's as he's praying in verse 13 but now I am coming to you what, what's going on here He's being sent out and now he's on the process of return when does someone return from being sent out when they've completed the mission. When do soldiers go home after the war is over? When when do you finish the mission? What happens? Then you go to a place of home. You go to a place of rest. Jesus is saying, I'm nearing the end of my mission and indeed don't we find out in John chapter 19 at the crucifixion that he is indeed ending his mission? He says on the cross as he looks out at those who are crucifying him, just as he's giving up his spirit, he mutters those words, it is finished. It's finished. He has won the victory of salvation. He has, he, has, he has taken on the penalty for our sins. In three days he breaks forth from the grave and shows us that he is victorious over our greatest enemy death. And then at the end of the Gospel of Luke, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and this morning even as we worship, he's living to make intercession for us. He has, in one very real sense, finished the mission. He's done it. He's secured our salvation. But just because He's secured our salvation, and that we are right now positionally in the Lord Jesus Christ righteous, does that necessarily mean everything in our life is fully in order? Well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You see, He has... He has completed the mission in terms of securing our salvation, but he is completing the mission in us in terms of our sanctification. Notice how he puts it in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus is saying he went on mission not merely to save us, But he went on mission to sanctify us. To make us fully and completely holy. His desire and the end game for your heart and your life is that one day, the way the Father sees you wrapped in the righteousness of Christ now positionally, you would actually be in your person completely righteous. He's completed the mission in terms of our salvation, but he's completing the mission in us in terms of our sanctification. And he says he does it through the means of the word. Through the preaching of God's word, through the teaching of God's word, through the power of the gospel, through this reordering of our loves, the practices and the patterns of the means of grace. This is how he begins to move us and shape us into who it is that he wants us to be. But I want you to see that as he does this, as he completes this mission in us, there's also a real sense in which he's going to complete this mission through us. I want you to see how he says it here. It says it in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Whose word is that? The disciples, those who have been saved. Those who will go out as my ambassadors, those who will now be on mission and be my witnesses in the world. I will extend my kingdom in and through them. They will be the means through which my kingdom advances. Now, Jesus is doing something really unique here. And in terms of the series that we are presently in, he's showing us that mission and sanctification are extremely closely tied. Closely, closely tied with one another. I want you to see this structurally. If you look back at verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. That's a statement, of course, on sanctification, on growth. But look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What's that? What's a statement on mission? Statement on sanctification, growth, and then a statement on mission. But then look, verse 19, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Another statement on sanctification. Leading to verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Another statement on mission. You see what he's doing? Sanctification, mission, sanctification, mission. They're all balled up together for Jesus as he prays. Now, if we were organizing this prayer, we would say, well, let's put all the verses on sanctification over here. That's one topic and silo it. And then we would say, let's put all the verses on mission over here and let's, that's topic and let's silo it. Let's keep them separate. Let's keep them orderly. But that's not how Jesus is praying the prayer. Jesus is showing us that sanctification and mission grow up together. He's showing us these two things. He's showing us that mission furthers sanctification and that sanctification furthers mission. That's what he's showing us. That mission furthers sanctification and sanctification furthers mission. Let's look first at first mission furthers sanctification. If you want to grow, if you want to grow, how do you do it? Do you really want to grow in Christ, how do you do it? And some of you would say, well, you need to read your Bible. We say that a lot here at Cornerstone. We believe that, pray, Um, get in a small group, things that we've talked about this morning. But would you say go on a mission trip, share the gospel, serve? We might say that those are the fruits that arise out of sanctification, that wouldn't be unfair, that's certainly true. But haven't you found that some of the greatest sanctification and growth that's happened in your life has happened when you did something? When you went on mission? I remember when our youth came back from Brownsville, Tennessee and were telling the stories about what it is that they did. They worked really long hours and they served those in that community who were in need and they did very important work and they received teaching and they were in new circumstances and they were stretched beyond where they were comfortable and they came back and one of the fruits that was happening in so many of their lives was that they found that they were growing in their perspective of who Christ is and what he had called them to do. Because they went on mission. If you look back over the course of your life anecdotally Simply think through the experiences where you have grown. It's typically begin, it's begun because you've had a, a difficult experience, some suffering, some trial, that's called you into faith and taking steps of action that were beyond your comfort. And on the end of that, you've said something like, well, I never want to do that again, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And here's what I'm saying that God is saying. You better do that again. And Again. And again, until it's a lifestyle. Until every day is a mission day for Jesus. Every moment is a mission moment for Jesus. Every every single ounce of your being is given over to the mission of Jesus. And what begins to happen is that as you're saying yes to mention, you're furthering your sanctification. Now some of us are wondering why we haven't grown could it be because you're not on mission? Could it be in our context, a context where there are deep students of the Word of God, people who love the Word of God, people who love sitting under the Word of God, people who love studying the Word of God? Many reasons, that, for many reasons, that's why you're here. But could, could it be that you need to do something with that Word? Go serve rather than sit? Could could it be that the the thing God is calling you to do is actually close the Bible? To go do what the Bible says to do? Some of us may be stuck in our spiritual growth and we're wondering why we're not feeling close to Jesus. We're not close to Jesus because he's on mission and we're not. We're not. It's through saying yes to his mission that fosters sanctification. It furthers sanctification. That's how it actually works. But I want you to see also that it's not just, it's not just mission that furthers sanctification. It's sanctification that furthers mission. It's sanctification that furthers mission. What once... The sanctification begins to take hold. You know one of the evidences that you know sanctification is taking hold? You're beginning to be motivated to step beyond the areas where you are typically comfortable. You are beginning to confess sins that you would never want to admit. You are beginning to deal with long habitual patterns that have led down paths of destruction. You are beginning to step into areas that are scary, but you're doing so with faith. That's evidence of sanctification and mission coming together. This is why Robert Murray McShane said of his own pastoring there in Scotland that my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. What McShane understood in saying that was that he's coming to serve with a heart that's been captured with Christ so that he wants every single part of his fabric of his being submitted to the purposes of Jesus. And when you serve from that place, it has effective ministry impact. I mean, Jesus is actually saying in this context, what the world's greatest need is, is your holiness. Think of the attractiveness and the effectiveness of mission that arises out of sanctification. If you have met a holy person... Sometimes we think of holier than thou. That's not very attractive. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a person who's holy, someone who's loving, kind, gentle, humble, patient, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. If you meet one of those people, you know what happens? You're drawn to them. Why are you drawn to them? Because holiness is beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. When the fruit of the Spirit begin to take hold of your life, and you begin to manifest this through the spirit of relationship, people come to you. You see, when sanctification begins to happen, mission is furthered, because you become actually an attractive force for the display of the glory of Christ. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. In Matthew chapter 5, he refers to the church as a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Therefore, let our good works shine before men so that they may see those good works, and what? Glorify God who's in heaven. That's what he wants. He says, it is your entire disposition, the formation of your complete character in Christ that becomes the attractive force by which mission takes place. Could it be that no one is asking you much about Christ because there's not much different about your life to ask about? Tim Keller once said in a sermon... Many people today, I'm afraid, are not compelled by the truth of Christianity because they've never really met a holy Christian. They've never really met a holy Christian. But when you do, you start asking questions. How did they get this way? What what happened? And it opens up a pathway for mission. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about Christ. Richard Lovelace, in his book on renewal, said that the Christian who is keeping pace with Christ in mission and committed in growth and grace in Christ, as it were, creates a magnetic field by which those who would be drawn to Christ are drawn to them to learn about Christ. It's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Don't you see, when you're giving yourself to mission, it grows you up in sanctification. When it grows you up in sanctification, it opens up opportunities for mission. These are not two different spheres that are meant to be cut off from one another. They are brought together and nurtured. And the reality is, some of us are not growing because we're not on mission. And the Lord today is calling us on mission. I want you to ask you a question. It's a hard question. I admit it. It's a hard question. To pause, who is the last person that you shared the gospel with? Who is it? Exactly. That's what we're talking about. It's hard to remember, isn't it? If there is a memory. How can we be on mission for Christ and not be sharing Christ? Jesus says He's come to restore His joy and fulfill it within us. As you're on mission for Christ and growing in the sanctification of Christ, the joy of Christ begins to expand within you. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think right now of the neighbor, of the coworker, of the person who's close within your sphere of influence who does not know Christ but knows you. Which means they have a pathway to Christ. The Lord has sent you to proclaim to them the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he has done. You are his missionary. By their word, those who will come to believe in me. By their word, that's his means. You are his missionary. You actually, you will rarely hear a preacher say this. You don't have to pray about it. You are called to it. As you go do it, please pray. Pray and pray and pray and pray pray because there's nothing you can do to convert them. But unless they have someone who preaches the gospel to them, they will never hear. And you are the person that they know. They are a few steps away from someone who is savingly united to Christ, who's been commissioned to give them eternal life and joy through the power of the Spirit and the sharing of the gospel. Do you want the testimony of our life as a congregation and your life individually to be that we were quiet when God called us to speak and we, in a sense, mortgaged the joy that they need and the salvation that their life is desperately in need of because we decided... That we had other things to do. Other missions to be about. We don't want that to be our testimony. God has called us to this work. He's called us to this work. And this is is the hope and the joy of what it is that we get to do. You know, when, when the things that you love... You know, some of you this morning have already talked to me about my beloved Mississippi State Bulldogs who lost a terrible game yesterday. I feel very humbled this morning. If they had won, I would be more inclined to speak with you about it because there's a the joy. But there's a love that's there in that joy. And we usually don't find things that we love and that we find joy in difficult to speak about. Why is it hard to talk about Christ? We should ask ourselves that question. And we should take that question to Christ in prayer and to each other. If He is the love of our life, we ought to be able to talk about Him. And some of us will say, and it's right, I would like some training in that, of course. But the woman at the well didn't have any training. And she was radically converted by the Lord Jesus, she didn't sit in a Sunday school class and get an EE curriculum. She took the newfound holiness that she had gained in Christ and she couldn't help but tell other people about it. That's a childlikeness, that's a humble faith. It's an unpretentious and unworried presentation of Jesus that lets the chips fall where they may and trusts the Spirit to do the heavy lifting. But He's called us to speak it. Let's share the faith. Let's share the faith. And let the Spirit do do what only He can do. We'll leave the fruit with Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, provoke us in our spirits to be those who are uninhibited in our sharing of Jesus regardless of what it will cost us. And to be quite honest, whatever it costs us is not worthy to be compared to what we've gained in Him. Lord, let, let us share the Gospel for some of us for the first time. Whoever it was that You might bring to their mind right now. A family member, a coworker Lord, do provoke us to pray. And as You provoke us to pray, I pray that You would bring us to action. And let's just let you do what you do. But let's do what you've called us to do. And we'll trust you. And you will save your people. You will complete your mission. So Lord Jesus, do this work we ask it. In your precious name. Amen.